This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania, the podcast that tells the story of civil liberties. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. Today, we are talking about elderly people in Pennsylvania's prisons. Several episodes back, we heard from Quinn Cousins of the Abolitionist Law Center, who talked about ALC's report on death by incarceration, or DBI, commonly known as life without parole. One of the things that Quinn and I discussed in that episode was the massive increase in people serving death by incarceration in Pennsylvania. The Commonwealth has had the sentence of life without parole since the 1920s, and in 1974, there were less than 500 people serving death by incarceration in Pennsylvania. But by September 2017, that number had grown to more than 5,000. The reason? Commutations became politically and legally unobtainable. In the 1970s, 203 people had their DBI sentence commuted. Since 1997, only seven people with a DBI sentence have won commutation. So it's not difficult to know what this means. With more than 5,000 people serving the sentence and a chance for commutation remote, Pennsylvania has a large population of aging prisoners. According to the ALC report, the average age of people serving DBI today is 48 years old. That's 15 years older than the average age in 1980. For this episode, I sat down with Tamako Shine and Karen Lee from Aging People in Prison's Human Rights Campaign. APHRC is a national organization that works to free older people who are incarcerated through legal and policy advocacy and is starting a new chapter in Philadelphia. Then we'll hear from ACLUPA's Naima Sanchez, who will tell us about a new online resource available for transgender Pennsylvanians. Here we go. Tamako and Karen, thanks for taking the time to talk about this issue. It seems that the, the issue of aging prisoners is something that's becoming more and more prevalent in uh, prison reform circles and criminal justice reform circles. And I know the two of you are doing a lot of work on that issue. So let me just start with asking you, what is Aging People in Prison Human Rights Campaign? Well, Aging People in Prison Human Rights Campaign is a human rights organization. Um, what we do is we lobby, we advocate, and we educate the public and others on elderly people in prison. Um, since the 1984 abolishment of parole by the federal level, that has had a trickle-down effect onto the state level, where many of them have abolished parole. Sometimes all they have is computation or clemency, these different things. What that has done, that has caused an unprecedented growth. So right now you have about 250,000 elderly people in the prison system. This is 50 and older who are trapped within the prison system. In one of the reports, ACLU did report um, a few years ago, by 2030, they're predicting a 400% growth of elderly people in prison. So this is a, the fastest growing population. I wanted to say a quote by one of the Attorney Generals of the United States, Kennedy, probably one of the best that they ever had. And he had mentioned, he said that when man takes a law into his own hand, freedom languishes. The elderly person in prison is a very good example of that. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like a Shahid Ali in Washington, D.C. When he went into prison, his daughter was two, and when he came out, she was 52. 
He died four months later. It looks like in New York, a John McKenzie, who did 40-something years, and after his 10th parole denial, he hung himself a few days after. This was recent. Yusuf Ali in Maryland, who did 40-something years, that night, the day of his release, his lawyer got a call. He had died in his sleep. A Charles Ford in Maryland, 64 years, in the prison system. Forgot he was there. 64 years. He died a few months ago after two years being released. Or within the own state here in Pennsylvania, Dr. Lois Farkasen, she did 41 years. She died at 91 years old in the women's prison, not knowing where she was, why she was there, or even who she was. And we also have a Sharon Wiggins who went in at 17. She did 40 years. She died in Pennsylvania prisons. And most recently, we have two of the MOVE folks that was released, but we know the rest of these MOVE members continue to languish in the prison in their 40th year. So what I just described are folks dying in prison is an inhumane situation. So what APP does, APP HRC, is that we try to rebalance the scales. So right now we have a criminal justice system, and right now we work to make it into a justice system. So we have folks like this dining in out the prisons. What it does is it critiques the value system of America. It questions a presence of a moral compass. And also it contradicts whether or not we have humanity. I want to ask you a little bit about what the kind of work and what, the, what APPHRC does specifically around the, the advocacy on this issue. But first, I want to ask you both, you know, you're spending time working on this issue. Um, how did you get involved? Karen, do you want to start? Um, yes, I became involved because initially I had been involved in organizations that uh, were not particularly focusing on the elderly. Uh, at the time, you know, the big push was for the juvenile lifers. And um, at some point, it was like the elderly were never even consideration. So uh, we had spoken to a couple of organizations and they had steered me actually to Tomico because I understand she'd been working with the elderly as well as with political prisoners. And my dear friend has spent 50 years in prison and that was right up my alley actually, you know, advocating for him as well as for the other elderly men and women. So that's how we became involved. And Tomiko, I understand you're the founder of APPHRC. Yes, yes. Um, I actually began, I'm a cultural anthropologist. And so I was doing a, a great amount of research and looking at identity and narrative in American culture with a hyper focus on people of African descent. That led me into looking at the con constant containment, imprisonment of people of color. But one of the days I was at home in D.C. and I came home and I had the TV on, I had Amy Goodman on, Democracy Now!, mm -hmm. And in the background, she was talking about a Marty Strahd from Louisiana, a prosecutor, and a Glenn Ford. She was saying how Marty Strahd, a former prosecutor, had sentenced, had, had a jury trial. Glenn Ford went to prison, did 30-something years, exonerated, and he was going to apologize to him. I found this very intriguing. He had basically said that when he had the case, it was built on racism, he was arrogant, and he was going to apologize to Glenn Ford. And it was this is on NBC, you could pull up the video. But it's him going to apologize to Glenn Ford and Glenn Ford saying, I cannot accept your apology. I've been released only to die. He died about maybe less than a year after he was released after 30 something years of cancer. That kind of rattled me. And I said, well, what is this, this elderly people in prison? And my first anthropology conference that year, I was talking about elderly people in prison and I've been kind of at it ever since. 
So I mentioned at the beginning that this issue seems to be becoming more prevalent in criminal justice reform circles, but it's possible, you know, someone listening to this hasn't really even thought about this issue. Why should they care? What's the, what's the main message you want folks to hear about the issue of aging prisoners? It's a, it's a humane issue. We talk about humanity, compassion, right to redemption, but when we talk about actually putting it into practice, into focus, we fall short. It's, it's a costly issue. They spend, I think, 80% of the inmates over 50 are on medication. Um, I believe the DOC has just recently asked for a $19 million increase to treat the sick and the infirmed. So those are the two main things, the cost it is to the taxpayers and also how it's generational poverty when it comes to the family. Michael Africa and Deborah Africa were just released. Uh, Mike Africa Jr. has spent 40 years without his mother and father, you know, both of them locked up. So this is how it destroys the family, especially the black family, which is already bereft. So this is something that we really need to consider and reconsider and revisit when we talk about prison reform and the elderly in particular. And also I just want to add, it's important that people in America are aware of this issue and they should care about it. You have some countries in Europe where the max may be 25 years. You have the International Criminal Court, they do not have a death penalty. You have people brought up for mass genocide, not for one person being killed, but tens of thousands, and the max they may get is 15, 20 years in prison. So you talk about elderly person, we're talking about a person who's spending double, triple, quadruple in American prison. So America as a country has to begin to catch up with the rest of the globalized world and how it treats those that's incarcerated, which are their citizens. You know, one of the things I've seen in advocacy the years I've been involved is, you know, people really connect to personal stories. And Karen, I understand you have um, a, someone who's who left a letter with you or a note that you wanted to share. Yes, it was a, he has written a book, it's called Life Without Murder, it's written by Samuel Barlow. Uh, he was a co-defendant with Sharon Wiggins, who just recently passed a couple of years ago, and Foster Tarver, who has been recently released. They were two 17-year-olds and an 18-year-old. Uh, Samuel Barlow was 18, therefore considered an adult. And um, even though he was not the shooter, uh, he was involved and therefore received life without parole and is now spending his 50th year in prison. So, uh, and has been up for commutation 13 times and why we has been denied, we don't know. But, um, you know, so we, have to advocate because sometimes, you know, oftentimes with the elderly, their parents die, their siblings die, they don't have the opportunity to know nieces and nephews, and they're like dinosaurs. They're just left out to, you know, die and dry. So this is why we have really gotten involved in terms of putting focus and light on the plight of the elderly. So the mission of APP, at HRC, is to return aging prisoners to their loved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and in what arenas does that advocacy happen? Is this legal work? Is it policy advocacy, some combination of the two? It's, it's multidimensional. So AB operates on the national level, state level, local level, your communities within the state, and then within the family. Karen mentioned about families. So on the national level, we have chapters across the nation. We're talking about the national broad view of elderly people in prison. So that may mean sitting before governors, sitting before parole boards at the state level. At the local level, that means organizing within the grassroots community, 
family and friends of loved ones to advocate and to educate them about their ones incarcerated. A good example is in Philadelphia, for example. There in the prisons, you can find two and three generations of men or women of one family incarcerated. Samantha Melamy, she did an article early this year, January 2018, philly.com, talking about generations of families incarcerated. So at HRC not only works on the back end to get these elderly people out, but on the front end, we're trying to break this cycle. It's no longer mass incarceration. This is now generational incarceration, and Philadelphia is one of those cities. I saw on your website, and you mentioned it time ago, that uh, AppHRC is working in multiple states. Are you finding the dynamics are different from state to state? Are there are there commonalities? What are you finding as you work in different states? Most definitely. It depends on the geopolitical context, right? Um, so like in Virginia, and our chapter's there, and one of our chapters in Shenandoah Valley, there's an emphasis they had. Virginia, first of all, has 40-some-plus prisons. They spend about $3 billion a year, Department of Corrections. You have families going in. So what they do, they work to try to see, can we get these elderly people out and try to get them in some type of reentry, some type of home, some type of place of living. The Richmond chapter may work on the school-to-prison pipeline, preventing them from going into the incarceration, similar to Philly, families incarcerated. And then you may have in Maryland where they're trying to, we're trying to remove the governor out of the parole process. Kind of similar with here with the excellent report that Abolition Law Center did on A Way Out, No Way Out, Death by Incarceration, where it talks about how the governor is involved. And so in that way, depending on the, the geopolitical context, that is the type of campaigns and type of advocacy and lobbying that we go after. So FHRC has started a Philadelphia chapter. Uh, what kind of work will the chapter be doing? Okay, well, we are just in the embryonic stages of this uh, chapter here in Philadelphia. Uh, we, what we want to do is educate people. We want to advocate, and we also want to agitate. Now, we want people to, you know, be, to be involved, to know, uh, not only those on the outside, but let the people know on the inside that they are thought about, that they have support out here, and that our mission is not to let them die inside. So we're going to be doing an all-out campaign for those who have loved ones on the inside, you know, to bring them home because that's our mission. And also with the Philly chapter in particular, we're really excited. One of the things today what actually is occurring, eight women lifers are up for merit review in Harrisonburg right now, right? I recently, last month, I attended um, a commutation hearing where in the afternoon all of them were lifers and all of them were denied. No. And so one of the things that we're pushing for is that that board has to be modified. We feel that the commutation parole boards across the nation need to be more civilian community based. So it should have people on these boards like social workers, psychologists, folks like Karen, folks who are advocates, family and friends and incarcerated to begin to change up the dynamics of the system. Um, another thing the Philly chapter is going to be doing, we're going to be looking at two campaigns, one of Carl Nelson. He went in 18 years old. He's been in several decades, and she mentioned Samuel Barlow, who's in his 50th year. But also what we're going to be offering, which is different, and this is the only, only this chapter, is that we're offering trauma healing workshops. This will be every other month, and this is because of the massive incarceration. Most of those incarcerated in Pennsylvania are coming out of Philadelphia. Philadelphia has high violence, high poverty, high crime. All of it cycles back to the prison system. So we're going to be offering this to try to take some of that pain, some of that trauma off of the many women and children and men who have experienced this type of incarceration. 
So if folks are interested in getting involved, where can they go for more information? So um, if they want to look at um, our website, it's apphrc.com. There's tons of information on there about elderly people in prison. Um, for our Philly chapter, to contact them is phillyapphrc at gmail.com. Um, they'll be having their first meeting in December, um, either the first or the second week. Um, they'll be having that meeting. And so you'll be able to contact us again at phillyapphrc.com at gmail. And also you can look on the website. And we'll be more than happy to welcome all of those, especially the family and friends of the incarcerated, um, to come and join us in this fight for our elderly people. Well, the organization is Aging People in Prison's Human Rights Campaign. And uh, Tamiko Shine and Karen Lee, thank you very much for being here. And thanks very much for your work. Thank you. The first meeting of the Philadelphia chapter of App HRC will be Saturday, December 29th from 1 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. The meeting will be held at the Free Library's Widener Branch Library at 28th Street and West Lehigh Avenue. For more information, you can email phillyapphrc at gmail.com. Now let's talk with Naima Sanchez, the Transgender Advocacy Coordinator here at ACLUPA. Under Naima's leadership, ACLUPA has launched a new website, transformationpa.org. The site is a resource for transgender Pennsylvanians to answer frequently asked questions about their rights and to tell their stories. And Naima will tell us more about it in this conversation. So Naima, you started here at the ACLU of Pennsylvania almost two years ago, and I seem to remember soon after you started, we started talking about this idea of a website that would be a place for um, important information um, for transgender folks. You know, it could be a resource for for the community. Why do you think it was necessary to create the website? I thought it was important to create the website so that trans Pennsylvanians had at their disposal um, their rights and could understand their rights as it pertains to them here in the state of Pennsylvania. There's other agencies that focus specifically on um, gender identity and sexual orientation that have resources, but there was nothing. If you go to those sites, yeah, you, you have to fish around mm-hmm. um, to get to the specific state and a specific issue. And with this site, it will cover up. It will cover the the issue as it pertains to trans folks. Um, in the state of Pennsylvania. Right. I think that's important um, because, as you know, the the laws can be different from state to state. So, um, you know, people can have Pennsylvania-specific information on the site. And in what ways specifically can trans folks use the site as a tool? The site allows individuals the ability to have their rights in their pockets where most of us keep our phones. Mm -hmm. So the site, it will have a walkthrough guide Mm -hmm. to, like, correcting gender markers or name changes, um, how to correct birth certificates. So I think that that is a a tool, but a great asset to the community when we think about the barriers that we face to correct our gender markers or our names or um, correct birth certificates as it pertains to state uh, issued uh, documents. Mm Um, so one of the other pieces of this that we've discussed over the time that we were creating the site was the idea of telling the stories of trans folks. Can cisgender people use the site? What, how does it help cis people understand the trans experience? Well, there's a portion of the site that is um, sharing our experiences. 
Um, we have videos that will be uploaded shortly with answers to specific issues. So if there was uh, an issue that someone that's trans identified faced in the school system, uh, we can highlight that story. Um, if there was an issue that a trans person faced inside the criminal justice system, that story was also uplifted, but just the experience. So it could be used for cis folks as as an education tool, um, but also as a familiarization tool. Like a lot of folks don't know that they know someone that's trans or they, or they feel like they never met someone that's trans. And this will give them that like personal, like, hey, this is my story, but also I can relate to you because I'm also a Latino or I'm also Catholic or I'm also Muslim. So it, it could be a tool just for familiarization or as an education method, but it also is a, a way for folks to understand to help them advocate for trans folks. And there's a fair amount of information there now. Do you expect to add more content to the site? You just mentioned that videos are going to be coming soon. We're going to pop those up on the um, know our story section. Um, what can we look forward to seeing on the site in the future? So we're working with our legal department on, these are training materials. So we want to make sure that uh, folks who are wanting to create this trans inclusive or trans affirming a safe environment, whether it's in schools and businesses and organizations, we want to make sure that they have this kind of material uh, readily accessible to them. And that's something that they'll be able to download from our site uh, and hopefully we'll have that up in the next couple of months. Another thing that you touched on was the, the actual stories, the videos of, of folks' experiences throughout uh, their life and living here in the state of Pennsylvania or just their life as being a trans person existing in America, the challenges that we face. So I think that with the training material and also the firsthand experience, the stories of impacted people, those are two of the main things that are to come in the next few months. All right, the website is transformationpa.org. Naima, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Andy. Thank you to Naima Sanchez. Again, that site is transformationpa.org. To learn more about aging people in prison human rights campaign, visit apphrc.com. That brings us to the end of episode 16. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be free. Be free.